Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. The UK reports the highest death toll in Europe. Deaths in the UK is still continuing to climb and is um, uh, higher than we would wish, I think is all I can say. Sweden and Denmark, wildly different approaches to tackling the virus, but similar rates of infection. Denmark locked down hard and early, shutting schools, borders, cafes, restaurants and shops. Sweden shut none of these things. And how the football season could finish keeping players and clubs happy. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis. The UK now has the highest number of recorded deaths with coronavirus in Europe. Until today, Italy had been the worst hit European country, with the second highest number of fatalities globally after the United States. But 29,427 people are now recorded to have lost their lives to the virus in the UK, compared to Italy's 29,315. But today, Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab said it was too early to make a comparison. Uh, There are different ways of counting uh, deaths. As we know, we've had that debate in this country. Uh, We now publish data that includes all deaths in all settings. And not all countries do that. So I'm not sure that the international comparison works unless uh, you reliably know that all countries are measuring in the same way. Um, And it also depends on how good, frankly, countries are in gathering their statistics. And our own Office of National Statistics is widely acknowledged to be a world leader. It comes as the UK begins contact tracing using an NHS app available for key workers on the Isle of Wight from Tuesday. It aims to alert anyone who's come into contact with someone who's tested positive for the virus. If the trial's successful, it could be available nationwide within weeks. But concerns are being raised over privacy and fears UK citizens may face tougher restrictions on travel if the system doesn't work with other countries. The Telegraph's head of technology, Robin Pagnamenta, has the story. At the time, it seemed like a purely technical decision. But Britain's announcement last month that it planned to go it alone by developing its own contact tracing app and would not join other countries building a common platform backed by Google and Apple could have far-reaching consequences. About 30 countries are developing apps which are designed to trace the movements of people with infections and warn others that they have been in close proximity with that they are at risk so they can isolate and get tested. Now, the UK has chosen to go down a different route to other European countries because the NHS is building its own system where the tracking data on who you have been close to is logged on a centralised database. The NHS says that this is vital to help health chiefs draw valuable information about how the virus is spreading 
to spot geographical hotspots, for example. But it is a different approach to that being proposed by Google and Apple, which make the operating systems for almost all of the world's smartphones. The system they have proposed, and which is being supported by Germany, Italy and other countries, is different because it is decentralised. In other words, the data never leaves your handset. Effectively, this is more of a peer-to-peer warning system. There's no centralised database where this information sits, and which therefore could, in theory at least, be abused. The idea behind that is that it is meant to be more protective of privacy, and in particular, the concern that once you have created this kind of tracking system, it could be used for other purposes in future. Surveillance by security services, for example, perhaps long after COVID is no longer an everyday concern. It could also potentially be hacked. Now, critics of the NHS also point out that it doesn't have a great track record at managing big IT projects like this on its own. And shunning the participation of these two giant tech companies represents a risk. There's also the issue of whether the UK system will be interoperable with other systems, as in Germany. But I think the real point here is that once you have built this system, whatever assurances the NHS or the government might give about how they will protect privacy, etc., it exists and it is difficult to put back in a box. In other words, it's a system which one day could be used for very different purposes than those for which it is being intended. And that is something we need to think about now, not once it is too late to do anything about. Sweden and Denmark have similar demographics, similar health systems and the same public trust in government, but very different strategies to tackling coronavirus. Denmark locked down hard and early, shutting schools, borders, cafes and shops. Sweden shut down none of these, trusting the public's common sense instead. Last Wednesday, the two countries' health agencies gave estimates as to the difference these contrasting approaches made to the rate of infection, to the R number. If the R is consistently below one, the number of cases will slow. And the difference? Well, not that much. The Public Health Institute of Sweden said its R number was estimated to have fallen from 1.4 at the start of April to 0.85 at the end of the month. Denmark's had fallen from 1 to about 0.9. So on the face of it, it looks like Sweden, without imposing a lockdown, has done slightly better at curbing the spread. Richard Orange is a journalist covering the story in Malmö in Sweden. I asked him if it appeared that Danes had locked down for nothing. Not quite. Denmark's much heavier lockdown helped push the R number as low as 0.6 in mid-April, and it has only crept back to 0.9 after the country opened schools on April the 15th. Sweden, on the other hand, saw an early and sudden peak in mid-March, when the infection rate briefly spiked above 3, and then a steady slow decline through April, with the rate only falling consistently below 1 after April the 19th. This small difference has had a big impact in terms of hospital admissions and deaths. Sweden's cumulative coronavirus death rate at 274 per million inhabitants is now triple that of Denmark's. But as Sweden's Public Health Institute has maintained from the start, coronavirus will be with us for much longer than the month or so a country can reasonably maintain a full lockdown. And while Sweden's state epidemiologist Anders Tegnell believes the population in Stockholm will achieve herd immunity within a few weeks. Denmark now faces the same dilemma as every other lockdown country. Even with cafes, restaurants and most shops still shut, it has seen the R number creep up towards 0.9. How much more can it relax before it starts to see a second wave? And will the much better record it achieve than Sweden in curtailing the number of deaths over the last month 
still be reflected in the two countries' final death toll. Virgin Atlantic will cut more than 3,000 jobs and no longer fly to or from Gatwick Airport as it struggles to cope with the fallout from the pandemic. The announcement will see 40% of the airline's workforce lose their jobs in a move that pilots union Belpert described as devastating. As the UK's aviation sector shrinks in size, it seems no airline or airport is immune. The Telegraph's chief city correspondent Oliver Gill reports. Virgin Atlantic's decision to cut more than 3,000 jobs, which is about 40% of its workforce, will come as no surprise to many in the industry who've warned of the crippling effect of coronavirus. Uh, the announcement that Sir Richard Branson's airline is quitting Gatwick, and rumours have been circulating about this one, will come as a big blow also for, for Britain's second busiest uh, airline. Uh, the job cuts come hot on the heels of British Airways announcing up to 12,000 redundancies a week ago and, and Ryanair cutting at least 3,000 jobs on Friday. Broadly speaking, airlines are hoping uh, for the best, but really are planning for the worst through some of these measures. Short-haul services, so the, the kind of things that EasyJet and Ryanair tend to thrive on, will. I hope that the hope is that they will return in some shape or form this summer. But the problem is, is demand for long-haul ones and, and, and long-haul services are the, the thing that Virgin Atlantic runs. The problem is that demand for those is, is, is expected to take a lot longer to, to recover. So Virgin Atlantic actually kicked off a process to try and find a new buyer, a new investee uh, last month after they were snubbed by the government over a request for a £500 million loan. Now, the airline says it's still in dialogue with ministers over some kind of state rescue. But the reality is that their focus is on flushing out all avenues of private investment. It's only if this falls flat and I understand that that's a process that's likely to take until the end of May, uh, that the government will uh, entertain the idea of stepping in. However, I mean, the problem that, that Virgin Atlantic faces is the notion of a taxpayer stepping in to save the airline seems to repulse both sides of the political spectrum in equal measures. And and the fear is within the airline, notwithstanding the number of jobs on the line, that actually a rejection from Westminster could well be the most politically expedient thing to do. While sports fans are having to make do with reruns on YouTube, those shouldering the cost for what could be many months of cancellations face a much greater burden. Speaking to the Digital Culture, Media and Sport Committee of MPs, the Chief Executive of the England and Wales Cricket Board, Tom Harrison, today warned the crisis could cost as much as £380 million, while English Football League Chairman Rick Parry warned clubs could face a £200 million hole by September. Parry also also warned that the lawyers are going to get wealthy if the Premier League tried to stop three teams being promoted and relegated as part of plans to bring the season to a close. So could the sport find a way to finish the football season, keeping players, clubs and broadcasters happy? Matt Law is The Telegraph's football news correspondent. Battle lines were very much drawn in the last Premier League meeting with some clubs voicing their opposition to a proposal to restart the season at neutral venues. The bottom six, who are all in danger of relegation, are worried that by giving up home advantage, they'd be making life more difficult for themselves. This has seen them cast as saboteurs in some quarters, but all the clubs are largely acting with a, uh, a degree of self-interest. For instance, Tottenham chairman Daniel Levy wants the season to go ahead to help pay for his club's £1 billion stadium. 
Chelsea have one of the most expensive wage bills to fund, so they could do with all the money they can get. So everybody's got their own reason. It would probably cost each club around £50 million in lost broadcast money for the season to be stopped. Obviously, they'd lose other money in terms of having to repay season tickets, plus match day revenues, which they're all going to lose anyway, because if we do get football back, it'll be behind closed doors. But the cost of those clubs that are relegated would be about £200 million. So I can understand why they're trying to look after themselves. Another growing fear is that a number of players don't seem to be keen on returning. Sergio Aguero, Manchester City striker, last week said that the majority of Premier League players are scared. And today West Ham United midfielder Manuel Lanzini has said it would be crazy to play again while there's no vaccine. I think clubs will be reticent to vote in favour of a restart if they have a number of players who aren't comfortable with playing and therefore would have to potentially play out the season with weakened squads. So there's a very long way to go still. Lots of clubs are now waiting for the government's latest advice on the lockdown. And then after that, they're going to have to start making decisions. If you're a sports fan and the cancellation of live sport has left you with a hole in your content consumption that can only be filled by rigorous sporting analysis presented with a healthy dose of humour, head over to the Telegraph's Audio Football Club podcast, where Matt Law and the rest of the football team weigh up the best and worst of football history. Up for discussion this week, the best and worst wingers, the best and worst youth prospects, fouls and press boxes. Link to that in the show notes. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis and I'll have your next update on Wednesday evening. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show, do as the reporters do and record it as a voice memo on your mobile phone. Then send it to me in an email. The address is coronaviruspodcast at telegraph.co.uk. Or if you're not feeling so adventurous, I'll forgive you if you type it out. Don't forget that you can stay up to date with all our news, analysis and advice completely free for the first seven days of your subscription when you go to Telegraph. Co.uk slash audio.